0: Coach Miniman, what's going on? This is Real Coach JB, starring Netflix show, Last Chance You. You're listening to everybody's favorite coach. Coach Miniman on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. All you high school coaches, players alike, listen in. Don't be slaps. Pay attention. Tune in to Coach Miniman's podcast. And, uh, hey, man, get some good content.
1: The Real Coach JB, Coach Miniman. Peace. This podcast is produced on Anchor, where you can record, edit, and publish all from your smartphone. You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Definitely to the batter's side. Thank you for tuning in, fans, to the original, the first, and the best in the tri-state area. That is the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. I would like to thank Coach Jason Brown at the Real JB from the Netflix show Last Chance You for welcoming everybody to the show. Now, the other day I had a Facebook message from our next guest coach dan spain of clark university and it caught me a little off guard it said what's your number and whenever i get that message from somebody i'm always a little nervous because it usually leads to an angry voicemail of somebody who says that i did not mention their kid on the dubuque area baseball podcast I gave coach Dan Spain my number and he left me a voicemail, which was very sweet and was very kind, but he requested that he come on this show immediately because he has to straighten some things out that Corey Davidson, future guest on the show, has been spouting on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast airwaves. So Coach Spain and Coach Tyler Soigling, welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Thanks for
0: having me, Nick.
2: Tyler, it's great to be here. Uh, Good to see you, Dan.
1: Coach, so what rumors did Corey Davidson start on the Dubuque Area Baseball podcast that you would like to clear up? I believe if I quote him correctly, he said, the first time he met you, hi, I'm Dan Spain, and I'm the shortstop. Fact or fiction?
0: Well, you know, I mean, part of me wants to accept that, but, you know, Corey likes to stretch things a little bit, and I don't think he gets called out enough, so he's usually the one – you know, given the, given the issues with guys, but no, I mean, here's the thing. All right. You got to understand is I was a very average player going into Clark. You know, I was just becoming and starting to come into my own as a player and starting to figure some things out. So I didn't go in there with the same mentality that, you know, I might've had, you know, towards the end of it, but yeah, no, I went in there and uh, it was a story that I had, inter- I had um, interacted with the first teammate that I had. And he had said, you know, I'm so-and-so and, uh, I'm the shortstop here and I said well I guess I'm the other shortstop um, and I had told Corey about this and he turned that around as if I'm you know this arrogant guy and coming off and saying I'm the man on day one that ain't the type of tone I'm trying to set but you know Corey here's the deal I love the guy he's a great friend he's one of the funniest dudes I've ever met and uh, he's been great to me I know my wife loves him as one of my friends too he's just uh, he's just a great dude to be around but You know, we got to get that story straight. I I, I wouldn't come off that bad.
1: (laughs) Now, now another story he told, too. Let's play a little fact or fiction here with Dan Spain from Clark University. He said that you guys had to run a mile in a certain amount of time and you blew your hamstring out before the end and you crawled to finish it and you came up a few seconds late and they made you rerun it the next day. Is that true or is that another Corey Davidson exaggeration?
0: Well now this this one I'll just accept because it's more of a positive way for me, you know, that I that I ran it the next day. But here's the reality of it is I did I was I was going really well and um just about to the finish and I, I mean I was about blacked out, you know, at that point. Um and yeah, I I blew Miami going up that hill and sure enough I did crawl to the finish and I think I finished at like fourteen ten, which I still beat him, so I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> uh but yeah, I finished about fourteen ten and then my first couple weeks of the fall I I uh I sat and watched the team practice and prepare trying to win a job. So you no know, uh I didn't have to run it the next day. I don't think I ended up. Yeah, I did. After I got healthy, I did end up having to run it, and I barely got the time. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to run that again.
1: Now, Coach, there's another story that you have not heard come across our airwaves yet, but you were mentioned in an upcoming episode. We had inspirational speaker Dylan Slattery of Stage 4 to On Stage podcast. And he said that he's done some speaking for your school. Coach Spain in, in over Zoom is already smiling about this. He knows where I'm going to go with this. But he said that he was umping during a semi-pro game, and there was a bang-bang play at first base where the pitcher was covering first base, and he called you out. And your response was, if you didn't have that long aired hair draping over your eyes, you never would have missed that call to begin with. Clear it up. Fact I, I'm fiction. not sure if
0: that's what I said, but, you know, I, I get highly competitive. You get me in a, a situation where I'm playing ball of any sport. I'm, I'm really, it's me against the world at that point a lot of times. But, yeah, it was something along those lines. And uh, he probably got the call right. But I'll tell you what, Dylan has been uh, – you know, an incredible friend. Um, I'd like to get back in touch with him so we can stay in touch because, you know, just his story, um, knowing him a little bit, just, uh, you know, his optimism, uh, people like that you can learn so much from. And I know our team really appreciated, you know, him coming in and speaking with us. And we're going to try to get him in again. But now he's he is really an awesome guy.
1: Yeah, and that was a uh, that was a fantastic episode. And he did say that you did own up to it in front of your uh, in front of your te- in front of your team. He said that Dylan did get the call right, and that you did say those people that are tuning in. I would like to introduce Coach Dan Spain. He is the head coach of Clark University Pride. And they are the NAIa opening round in 2016, 17, 18, and 19. The HAC tournament champs in 2018, and they're the HAC North Division champs in 2017 and 2018. Well, Coach Spain came out swinging there, and uh, he came out—he uh, came out like a ball of fire there. Coach, welcome to the podcast. First thing I want you to do is tell us a little bit about yourself, your career as a player, and then go into um, how long you've been coaching, how you got your start in coaching, and how long you've been at Clark and your overall record. Touch upon some of those things for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as my baseball career, you know, growing up, I was either farming or playing sports. And, you know, I was the youngest. Um, I've got an older brother and an older sister. Um, kind of followed my brother around quite a bit he was definitely somebody that pushed me and, and really instilled some toughness in me and um, I got a lot of credit to him with everything but my playing career uh, you know going through high school uh, I feel like I, I kind of grew a little bit late so I think I had some challenges size-wise early on but um, growing up in a small town of Delmer, you know with whether you're in elementary or you're high school everybody played together you know you just had to Get enough guys to play whether it was football baseball basketball it didn't matter uh, guys girls it, it, it was pretty great and there was a lot of awesome athletes so uh, that really set the you know that was the foundation athletically um, to learn how to compete and you know adapt into different situations but uh, so yeah went through that and then went to high school in Maquoketa, Um had a great you know great coaches um, great experience still just kind of Trying to figure things out, uh, work my way through life, figure out what I want to do, what direction I want to go. Um, you know, and athletically, I just love playing sports. I, I think at one point I played five different sports. Now, granted, I wasn't good at all of them. Um, I was athletic, but you know, uh, I I didn't have the, you know, the specific focus. We just played whatever sport was in season. So, you know, going through that in high school, um, you know, once again, my brother was very well known, highly recruited. Uh, I wasn't highly recruited necessarily and I ended up following his footsteps and going to Marshalltown, uh, playing ball, junior college baseball at Marshalltown. And it was a, a great experience, especially, you know, culturally, just the diversity on that team was incredible. Uh, it was, it was a great experience, but even there, those first couple years, um, you know, I just wasn't 100% committed. And I think at the end, you know, I started to, you know, really reflect on some things and, started to realize, like, hey, if you're going to do this, do it right, and do it the do it the best you possibly can. See what you can become, and uh, really took my career in my own hands, and I went to Iowa Wesleyan. Uh, I followed the same coach that recruited me to, uh, to Marshalltown, um, and then that was a great experience. Awesome team. Played with some incredible, incredible athletes. Um, you know, I go back and I look at that year as those were, like, the best coaches I had were, like, my teammates. I had some guys that really taught me a lot about the game and learned some different, you know, ways of playing and really found myself there. And then, uh, ended up following a girl, you know, which is something we complain about as coaches, you know, guys leaving school to to go here or there because of a girlfriend. Um, but I followed the girl and, uh, you know, the, who's now my wife, you know, so it worked out pretty good for (laughs) me. And she is 100% completely out of my league. Um, but I, I love her to death and we've got two little boys now, Grady and Bo, and we've got another boy coming in August. So, um, so yeah. And then after Iowa Wesleyan, you know, like I said, I went to Clark and played for Chad Harris, he gave me an opportunity, came in there and they weren't necessarily as strong of a program at that point. So, uh, went from not being an everyday player in my previous years of college to, you know, yeah, you know, Corey tell you, I stepped in and said, I'm the shortstop. Well, I, I, I guess I kind of did take over that position, um, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to handle it and held that down. So uh, it was a great year, great experience, incredible group of friends uh, that I was actually on a Zoom call with the other night. It was just awesome to see them really reflect on, on my experience and, and then got into my coaching career. And how did you
1: start? with your coaching career did you start as an assistant somewhere at the high school level or a grad assistant at Clark Uh, how did did that start out with you in coaching
0: well I think uh I started coaching my first job was a was a sophomore high school sophomore coach in Kokoda, and I think we were like three and 20 or something um we were not very good but it was probably the most fun I've ever had with a group I had a lot of guys that you knew were not as driven to become you know college baseball players but they like to play um, I think the three games we won was because we brought up some freshmen that could really play um, <laughs> so that made the difference so that was my first experience in coaching and um, I think that had a big impact on me as a player too just being around those kids you know how much they loved and enjoyed the game that really you know brought a lot to my life that I look back on and you don't realize until now that you know it had a big impact so that was my my first coaching career. wasn't wasn't a real strong start for me. And how long have
1: you been at Clark?
0: So I've been at Clark now. Um, I I think this would be. I'm going into this was going to be like my ninth year. I think it was like technically eight and a half. Uh, so next year, you know, almost going into my tenth year, my ninth full year. Um, you know, as a head coach, and then I was an assistant coach. So. I finished my playing career, then I was a student assistant for a year, and then i was uh I got the part- time assistant job and that was great and then I stepped up into the recruiting and in the full- time position and I ended up finishing that year as a head coach uh so yeah that's uh two thousand ten so we're ten years
1: yeah, it's sad to think that that's ten years already, isn't it
0: It's went by extremely fast there's no doubt
1: about it. Now, I'm finding out with the more interviews that I do, I always ask this question, and I'm finding out not a lot of coaches know this. But do you happen to know your overall career record off the top of your head, or do you just enjoy your experiences with the guys?
0: I could probably tell you how many losses I have. Um, it's too many. You know, I think it's <laughs> like, I don't know, 150, maybe more, 170, maybe. Um wins I know I passed the 200 mark uh last I think it was last year um, you know so I, I don't know I actually know it was the year before I think but yeah at the end of it though is we, we've lost too many games you know looking back coaches don't win games and I think that's that's definitely true uh, I think we can we can help players to perform and get their mind right and prepare them but at the end of the day those losses are the ones that I look back on Wish I would have, you know, considered some things or maybe did some things differently, different decisions. But so yeah, I don't, I don't get caught up on it too much. I'm in the, I'm, I'm trying to play the long game. You know, um, you know, I, I'll look back at it. Hopefully, when I, if I'm fortunate enough to live 80 years and still out there coaching third, hopefully I can look back and be proud of it.
1: Yeah, now, Coach Sogling, when we were prepping for this interview, yes, people that listen to the Buick Area Baseball Podcast, we do prep. We don't just come into this interview and wing it. But Coach Sogling from Phoenix, Arizona, you said that you had some questions that you'd like to ask Coach Spain here.
2: Oh, yeah, man. Um, Well, I mean, the first thing, I'm just going off of the conversation that we we had on the phone there as we were playing some phone tag and and trying to to talk, but – Um, You know, one of the the things that we were talking about was, uh, you know, how the MLB might be getting rid of some of these minor league programs and how you think it's going to affect you at Clark. I was just wondering if you could tell us more about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're still trying to figure out exactly how it impacts us, especially recruiting wise and things. But when you when you really shorten up the draft, see the NAI, you know, it's a level of baseball right in the fringe where there's some kids that get opportunities, you know, that get drafted and have those those chances to move on. So Obviously from a recruiting standpoint, when we're recruiting some of our, you know, top guys, you know, all things affect, you know, it's a trickle down effect. So if they shorten up the draft, okay, you're going to five rounds. Well, you know, I would, I would suspect you're, you might go more high school, you know, direction. You got to get some of those kids that you thought maybe you could have gotten the 25th round, but or the, or the, you know, 15th round, you got to go get them in the fifth now. Or you take a kid that's the 10th rounder and he becomes a second rounder because there's certain teams with certain needs. So it has a big impact on everybody. We're still trying to really, you know, work that out. But I think overall, it's just the, um, you know, the health of the sport. You know, we don't want to lose some of these uh, single A, um, these rookie ball teams that we all rely on. We love to go watch. and um, And who knows what kid's sitting in the crowd that that might be what it takes to, Really ingrained the passion for baseball. So, you know, it's kind of a long term effect, but short term, I think you just take it how it comes and you adapt and you do the best you can. But, um, I don't know. They're, they're kind of quiet right now. I, I I don't have Manfred's number, but. Uh, Nick might be able to get on the next. uh You know
1: what? He, yep. he did not uh, give me his number after I ranted about getting rid of these minor league teams and ticket prices not too long ago. Now, you did mention the NAIA. I have to be honest here. My first and only experience with the NAIA was a couple years ago. The NAIA World Series was trending on Twitter because on ESPN they showed this hitter – and he was probably about 450 pounds and he was completely out of shape and he was playing in the NAIA World Series. So what is NAIA? What does it even stand for? And what? how is it different from the NCAA? And with the NAIA, what level does that compare to? Is it Division One? Is it Division Two? Is it Division Three? Where does it fall uh, in the ranks of the NCAA, talent-wise or baseball-wise?
0: Yeah, so the NAI, National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics, uh, the way I would describe it is, there's almost like another section of the NAI. The way I look at the competitiveness of it is, you know, you've got probably, and realistically, you got five teams at the top that can compete legitimately with 90% of Division ones, and I know 90% seems high, but it might even be higher. I mean, we've got teams where you know some of my closest friends down in Florida, Southeastern, you know, teams like that where they've got you know they got guys that are 90 mid 90s consistently you know across the board, and they might have three of them. Um, you know, so there's different levels to it for sure. Uh, I think you've got your top teams, which is you know, your top five are just kind of ridiculous. They're all Division one kids. So, if you want to be a great NAI program, you either need to recruit Division One kids that are either bounce backs for one reason or another, um, or you need to develop that level of talent. And for us, you know, we've basically that's kind of the niche we've got. Is we believe that our development can get some of these fringe players to that level and help them get there. But uh, so I would say you break it down. You know, your top five are ridiculously talented, which we still are, are very confident against. Um, and then, you know, say your top 30 teams in the country, I almost think that should be division one NAI. Uh, they do, they do have, they did have it split with basketball. I'm pretty sure they're combining now, but really it's almost like top 30 teams. And then you've got another section of about 50 teams that are, are solid teams. Maybe they don't have the amount of professional tools across the board in their roster, but they've got professional level coaching, um, that put them into contention And then there's a whole nother section that, you know, they're going to struggle against anybody. So if I was to put it somewhere, I would say we're right in there. Your top 30 teams are going to be right in there between the, the mid major division one, um, and division two teams. But here's the deal. There's division three teams that can beat division one teams. There's division two teams that can, can play with those teams and vice versa. Um, so. NAI has got a really—it's my favorite level overall. Just from a standpoint of, it's a great chance to give guys opportunities that maybe their situations have put them in a place where they can't transfer back to a Division One school, or maybe they screwed up with their grades, and you know maybe they just went through something at home that really threw them off for a year and and just made their options limited. So uh, you get a you get a plethora of, of different players all over the country, all over the world. But um, our opportunity to work with the players is probably the best advantage. We get, you know, we get 24 weeks uh, for training. So they get a lot of time with us and you get a lot of time to build those relationships and get to know your, your team. And um, it's, a, it's a great division and you should follow NAI ball on Twitter. I don't know if you do, but those guys are really good friends of mine. They saw me when I was a younger coach um, you know, down in Georgia playing against Gwinnett and things. And they, they've really, i you know, I've got a good relationship with them. And they do an incredible job of promoting us.
1: I, I will yeah, definitely I, have to give them a follow. Now, my one question, and help me out if I'm wrong on this, because I could be wrong. Did you guys play the University of Iowa in the past couple of years? And did you guys have them on the ropes and almost beat them? Or is that something that I, I completely making
0: up yeah no we had them last year and uh our our team last year we had a lot of talent I mean we had some freaks I mean I had a couple guys that just had multiple professional tools um but we had also we had like seven or eight transfer seniors which makes it difficult and that's another NAI factor we get a lot of those guys sometimes where you know, they don't have enough time to really ingrain themselves into the culture. Or, or you as a coach don't have enough time to build that trust to really get the most out of them. But, you know, we went into that game with Iowa. I've been trying to get them on the schedule for a while. And, um, you know, we finally everything worked out. And, and Rick was great in giving us that opportunity. And I think we went out there and our starting pitcher, um, who we felt gave us a really good chance, he struggled a little bit. And we brought in a guy named... One of my favorite players ever is uh, Subasa Mariyama. This guy just – if I, I could talk about him all day and his progression, becoming the man he is today, and he's doing great, he's successful. But Subasa came in and threw, um, I think, seven scoreless innings. Uh, we ended up tying it with a home run, 2-2, two to two, and uh, we ended up losing on a sack fly. So, yeah, we dropped the game 3-2. to two, But, you know, you could say, oh, we're one run from being – as good as nice baseball you know it might as well be eight to one but we loved the way we competed i was really impressed with the way our guys showed up and you know the confidence that we had there wasn't there wasn't anybody that went into the game thinking anything other than we're going to beat this team just like we we feel going into any any game against anybody
1: coach so Uh, you had a follow-up go ahead bud
2: yeah no i mean i i just kind of hitting on what you said because i played division two and I felt the same way that you that you feel about NAIA. It was like, you know, all these players that get so worked up and coming out of a junior college, everyone wants to go D one, D one, D one. But at the end of the day, like there are just as good at teams in NAIA, division three, division two, that you could go to and compete for a, a championship and be just as good as these division one teams, these low tier, middle of the road division one teams. And it was that's I'm I'm just glad to hear you say that because I felt the same way as as a player going through um but then just a question on the NAIA versus NCAA like do you guys get a little more autonomy to do more things like less restrictions
0: yeah 100% I think it starts with the training you know any transfer that comes in from a junior college you know they're used to training on a regular basis um and it's very similar to us now it's not we don't we probably don't go quite as extreme as we did my first few years which was you know, it's kind of like a no days off type mentality, but I didn't have a wife and kids and, you know, those types of things. And and you end up grinding them out, too, at that point. But um, so, yeah, that's the main flexibility is you get the, you know, you get attention from the coaching staff. Um, you're able to train them. Um, you know, we go through the fall. We get to play fall games. We'll play, you know, probably four four games, 18 inning games against, uh, you know, legit junior college teams, which... The JUCOs in Iowa are, are really, really competitive. So gives you a good feel there. Uh, you get to know your team a little bit and then you spend a lot of time scrimmaging and, and preparing our program. We rely on our training. I mean, if you want to come to Clark as much as anything, uh, you gotta, you gotta be ready to come in and train consistently. Uh, I'm not going to say, oh, we're the hardest workers because I think some of that is a little bit of, of talk, but for us, it is going to be consistent. It's going to be structured and, uh, you're going to get more attention than you're probably going to get in a lot of places. And you just get a chance to, to, you know, get to know the players and build that trust with them so that they will perform when, you know, when the lights turn on.
2: I think the grind goes along with that too. Like there's a different grind being in an AI or Division Two or whatever you might have compared to D1 where you have more time that you're grinding and you actually become more of a team, I feel like. You know, like we used to bust 36 hours down to, down here to Arizona from Bemidji, Minnesota, you know, and like those are experiences that I could never, you know, that I I would love to to revisit and and talk to my friends about every now and again too, because you just grind together and you become a team together. And I think that's a big part of of these programs.
0: 100%. And that's the thing people don't realize is the amount of home games we play, uh, maybe you could say that's incredible that, you know, we've done really well without really having yeah, the opportunity to play a ton of home games, but it's been tough. We don't have a turf field, which, you know, is what it is. Our, our, our playing surface at Piazza, we love playing there. The, the natural field's great, but yeah, it's getting on the bus and going down South is uh, probably the first six weeks of our season uh, going down. Yeah. 24 hour bus trips to places and that's where you really get the experience. And that's why it's such a big deal. Not just trying to play for us or trying to start It's just get on the bus. Find a way to get on the bus. And that's what a lot of our guys are grinding towards, you know, trying to get that opportunity to find a role.
1: We're here with Coach Spain, who is the head coach at Clark University, the all-time leader in wins for the baseball program. You're not a one-man show, though. You do have a staff. Tell us a little bit about your staff, some of the members on there, and some of their jobs that they have.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could, same deal. We could talk about this all day. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm just one, one piece of this entire, uh, program. And, you know, I've, I've been here obviously from the beginning, but you know, I've had so many great assistant coaches. I had Cooper Stewart my first four years and that guy is one of the most knowledgeable baseball minds I've ever been around. I respect him so much and he has, you know, I give him as much credit as anybody, you know, for getting this thing going with me. I needed that. Uh, you have to have good, you know, good coaches around. And, um, and then, you know, Redman, you know, after he played, you know, had Red slide into that position. And, um, you know, Red is just the same deal. He's an incredible person, uh, loyal, reliable. Um, obviously he was a great player, but he's an even better coach. Um, and then now I've got Anthony Razo. Rosso. Razo's awesome. You know, Razo's a guy that played for me um, really down to earth. Everybody likes him. Um, and he's somebody that you can just count on when you give him something to do. He's going to go and get it done, and he can deal with me. You know, sometimes it's just managing your head coach and balancing him out sometimes, and I think that's the the biggest thing with with a coaching staff is having guys with different personalities that fit. Um, so there's that, and then there's, all, you know, Anthony Rudin helped with our pitching this year, did a great job as our pitching coach. He's one of the most talented, um, you know, Baseball and pitching minds there is, and he played for me, and we know what type of competitor he was. All of these guys are just extreme competitors, which just really ingrained it in myself and the program overall. And then there's a list of about 10 guys, and to put them in order, I, you know, that's impossible, but yeah, John Canaval's been with me since day one. Uh, he's like family to me, uh, coached all of us in the summer. He's a great man. He'd take the shirt off his back for you. He genuinely loves the game of baseball, and he loves the players. Uh, mike Sweefel is uh, with building better athletes. I think he 's the best there is when it comes to strength conditioning. He really like engulfed himself into learning how to how to train pitchers, the right nutrition um, i don 't even have to worry about the pitching staff from that standpoint uh, with what mike does and and he, you, these people don 't ask for anything you know they they just they want to be a part of it. And, uh, I, I'm so grateful for that. And then I got Eric Munson working with us too, uh, who's a great mentor, one of the best friends I got, uh, just somebody that I completely trust. And, you know, same deal. He loves the game. At the end of the day is it's about the players and, you know, their experience and, and feeling what we all feel from the game of baseball. Um, yeah, other names like I probably have like 15 coaches that help us uh you yeah, know Nick Wilkamp, Zach McCollum, Donald Rothler, former player, Frank Dardis throws BP for us we need a lefty that's firm he really makes a difference for us um yeah Corey Davidson he helps me out there's so many people behind the scenes that have contributed to this program and I'm extremely grateful for it and I'm, I apologize if I missed your name. It, yeah. <laughs> Um, all I know is those people I we we could never do it without them. So you have
1: Frank Dardis, the lefty throwing BP. Do you have Corey Davidson, the lefty throw BP? Are you and Corey <laughs> might hit too many guys?
0: Nah, I gotta I, I gotta get Corey on some recruiting. You know he's a, he's a better BSer. We can get him on the phone and call <laughs> some kids and you know uh, build those relationships. But no, Corey's Corey's you know all seriousness. Corey's a really smart baseball mind, and that's one thing. is like. All those people just bring a dynamic and understanding of the game um, that, you know, with 50, 60 players like we have most years, you need that many coaches because they, they relate to different kids um, and they can get through to kids that I can't or somebody else can't. So we're really blessed to have them.
1: Coach, uh, talking to you for the first time today, it's, it's great to see that you don't let your ego get into the way of anything. Because when I started this podcast, when Tyler and I did this, they said, you have to have Redman on. He's the best pitching instructor in Dubuque. You have to have Eric Munson on. He's the best baseball mind in Dubuque. You have to have Mike Zawifel on. He's the best at what he does. So it sounds like you're surrounding yourself with the best people uh, in the area, and I think sometimes uh, head coaches, you'll see that, that sometimes they don't do that because they want to be the head honcho or the person that's in charge. But I know whenever I was putting a staff together, I was I would always put people that um, were the opposite of me, so they were calm, and they didn't worry, and they knew a lot about pitching, and all of my weaknesses that I had as a person or a coach these were the coaches' strengths. So um, you're doing a great job with that. Now, Clark became on my radar a couple of years ago, uh, coaching varsity baseball at Hempstead. I would see all of the stud debut preps were going to Clark. And I was thinking, what in the world is going on at Clark? They got Ant- They got Anthony Rudin pitching, Andrew Redmond pitching and playing. Now they have Jacob Kerman, Connor Crable, Austin Clemens went there. Uh, All decade, all area outfield selection, Tucker May was playing there. So what is it about the Dubuque area and, and why does Clark add so many of these guys to their roster?
2: You know,
0: <clears throat> you know, I think the biggest challenge for us, like recruiting-wise, is just the timing. Um, I, I think one strength of of our program and our coaching staff is when our season's going on, we are focused on our players. I think a lot of colleges get caught up, and I understand they get caught up with recruiting and thinking about that next year and that next stud. But, you know, for us, we kind of put a lot of that stuff off to the side. And, you know, for me, I train a lot of these players, or at least I'm around these players, you know, you come into our facility over winter break and it's, it's like a, uh, it's like an all decade debut team. I mean, it's incredible the amount of players and, you know, some of them play for us, others don't. Um, and those are the guys that, you know, we just want to be, we want to genuinely help them and guide them and help them to do what's best for them. But a lot of these guys, they end up going to another school and, and realizing that, you know, Clark was the place where they could really be comfortable and Clark was a place that had all the things that really mattered, especially, you know, academically, you know, no doubt about it, in a place where you can get a great degree. And on top of that, um, hopefully I think I, I would assume that hey, they built enough trust in me, uh, whether it's through training or whether it's people that know me and things and know how we do things that, you know, we're going to put them in the best position. We're going to get them around all these coaches that you talk about and they're going to have a chance to become the best player they can possibly be, um, which hopefully translates into their life. So, you know, I mean, it's just kind of been a, a trend. Red, Red kind of set it off when it, you got a guy that that comes here that had other options. He had Division One offers and opportunities. But before I got the job recruiting him, and this is just the loyalty that, that he's always had. Was you know I was recruiting him and as an assistant and things, and he said, "Well, if you get the job." you know, I'm coming. And it was just like, you know, I think he was the first phone call. Don't tell my wife, but I think that was the first (laughs) phone call I made was I'm like, Hey, I got the job. Are you still in? And, you know, it's like July at that point. Um, cause I really didn't think I was going to, you know, get the job, but, um, ended up getting it. And yep, sure enough. Of course, Red's like, yep, I'm in. He brought a buddy, Jay Ho. And, uh, that team was, was an awesome way to start it off. So, You know, it's kind of just been like the culture of the program. And, um, probably the reason they go somewhere else is because I don't obsess over recruiting. I just try to put the best product on the field and, you know, the best product in our program, the best coaches I can put around our guys. And, um, I think when guys really reflect on what's important, you know, it becomes a little more obvious to them that. This is where they want to go. And, and guys like to win. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, winning definitely is something they want to do, and guys want to be a part of that. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess, like I said, 57 players on our team this year, and I think all of them are returning after all this stuff going on. Uh, the majority of them are, and that's not because I've recruited them again. I haven't even asked a lot of them if they're returning. They want to play together. Um, and the, the players, at the end of the day, They really make it, you know, make the recruiting for us with local guys a lot easier. Um, but at the same time, my biggest regret is like we've missed on so many kids that I see in the summer. And I'm like, man, how did we not go hard after that kid? And it's like, well, he signed in, you know, whatever September to go to another school and we weren't focused on that. And so it's, it's a knock, but if you play for us, you know, we're not looking at next year. We're focused on you. We're focused on right now. And that's the disappointing part about this year is I was really looking forward to, to figuring our team out this year because I, I thought we had a chance to even take it a little further. So,
1: Coach, that voice message that you left me, you said one of the kindest things in there that... that- I've heard since I started doing this podcast and you said you listen to all the episodes and there are some guys because of this podcast now that are on your radar that other coaches and other people have talked about. So that was, that was cool to cool to hear. Now I want to hear your best sales pitch. I'm a high school. My best
0: sales pitch. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a high
1: school player. I'm undecided on where I want to play college baseball Give me your best sales pitch. Why Clark University? Why you? Why Dubuque?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would just start off with, you know, it comes down to what really matters to each individual player. And, you know, my sales pitch has changed over the year. Before it would be, you know, hey, this Coach Spain, Clark University. We've won this, 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 and whatever. But I, I ask a lot of questions. So, you know, sales pitch is kind of whatever the direction the conversation goes. But you want an opportunity to play in a program. You know, that's proven itself, that's sustained success um, and an opportunity to really feel um, what it feels like to compete as one of the top programs in the country. Uh, Everything that we're chasing, that opportunity to play in the national tournament, you know, what we're really chasing is not the trophy. It's the feeling of what it feels like to be there. You know, guys like, you know, if it's a local kid, hey, you got an opportunity to come here and leave your legacy and leave your mark, you know, and be on this. You know, be talked about in this podcast about what you did, because uh, at the end of the day, when you look back, it's going to be those relationships that you built and those relationships get stronger and stronger. You know, the higher level of competitiveness that, that you have with each other. So um, program wise, school wise, I mean, Clark is once again, it's a feeling, you know, it's a it's an environment where, you know, the people truly care about you. We got guys from all over the country. Um, On purpose, you know, I love having a culturally diverse team and guys that you can learn from because those are the guys that impacted me as a player. Um, You know, atmosphere wise, you know, it's a family atmosphere and that's not something that just happens. I mean, that's something that you need to come in and and be committed to. Um, You know, you know, when I talk about sales pitching or, or recruiting pitching things with local guys, you know, I try to do what's best for them. I mean, honestly, I I help guys. There's kids that I have helped get to schools where I sent the coach their number because I just felt that they fit going the junior college route um, because I knew if they come here, they're going to have one foot out the door and, you know, second guess it when they go through that roller coaster of, of a career, a roller coaster of a season, Um you know, they're going to be second guessing themselves. So I just want to make sure we got guys that 100 percent are um, this is where I want to be and what I want to be about. But academically, you know, strong relationships with your professors, uh, very supportive. You've got a great community with plenty to do, you know, with the college town feel. and um, And if you're a local guy, you know, some guys want to get out of town and things, that's fine. But the reality is, is you don't have much time to go home anyway. I mean, you're training and you're doing things. And if you're enjoying this program and your teammates, you're going to be ingraining yourself into, into activities with them and doing things with them all the time. Um, you know, daily routine, you, you know, there's multiple different sections throughout the day of, of training that we're doing. So, um, you know, if you want to have that out-of-town feel to stay in town, well, then fully uh, invest yourself into your teammates and into the program, into your academics and into your degree and figuring out, you know, what path you want to take in life. So, um, you know, but most importantly, I would say the biggest thing that I would say, you know, pitch wise, I think we're different. Uh, I think we're different as much as anything, because we know how to develop the right mentality. You know, we talk about the winner's win mentality. Those are things that are going to stick with you the rest of your life. And those are things that you're not just born with. I wasn't a winner's win mentality my whole life. I think that's something that, you know, being around players and coaches and, and competing with each other and starting to learn yourself. Um, that's a big factor too, It's is help you get an opportunity to learn who you are, take ownership, have accountability for it and have something that's going to last and stick with you the rest of your life. Whether I was in California, Florida, or Iowa right next door to you, uh, at the end of the day, the right place is the right place. The place that's going to get you prepared for the rest of your life. And, um, yeah, man, I mean, I, you know me. I could talk all day about stuff, and that's where recruiting-wise, I like to just ask them, you tell me what you're looking for, and let's see where this goes. And I'll tell them if it's not right, I'll encourage – well once you take a look at this school? And a lot of times that helps them to build more trust in me, you know, that I have the right intentions for them. Coach, we've they talked – Coach, talk.
1: Coach, we've talked about that hashtag winners win on – previous episodes and episodes coming back. I I love that hashtag. Now, it's interesting. I'm going to reveal a story here that I haven't shared with anybody yet, but hearing you talk, you have just such passion about your players, about Clark and and the game of baseball. Now, you and I have been texting back and forth leading up to this interview and I could just tell your passion through your text messages. I told my wife at dinner last night, I'm thinking about making a comeback and and coming to play for Clark. I was so inspired (laughs) by your text messages that you were leaving me. So do you have uh, any room on your roster for a 38-year-old balding, possibly short relief pitcher, possibly maybe a setup man?
0: Hey, no doubt about it. Hey, that's the NAI. That's what we're about. You know, we definitely would take you.
1: Now, now, Coach, I, I want all the high schoolers to listen to this here. I, I don't know if this stuff is true or if it's nonsense or, or what's going on, but I read about college coaches all the time on social media. Um, is it true? Do college coaches, do they do background checks, social media background checks on players? Do they check the... Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchats of all their all their players. Do you go to games to see how high school players handle adversity? Do you talk to their high school coaches about how their parents and how their families are and go to games and watch to see how their parents act? I mean, the things that I read that college coaches do, I mean, I could keep going on and going on and going on. Are Are those things true?
0: Yeah, I mean they're definitely true. We utilize social media quite a bit for recruiting. Um, you know, there's there's some great opportunities to be able to see some different players from different areas and um different hotbeds, but yeah, it makes a huge difference. I think for me I more so look at the individual from a standpoint of like why are you putting that on social media, you know, cuz a lot of times it's like a a defense mechanism or they're trying to put a certain type of perception out there that make me really just question I'm you know, psychologically, what is his thought process there? And I don't really cross them off for any of those reasons. Same deal with, you know, parents that are issues. I've got, you know, I've, I've coached multiple kids, you know, where, you know, people said you're going to have a problem with their parent, their dad. Like, not if they know I care a lot about their kid. I'm not. And I think that's the big factor for me is um, I have to make sure that the kid feels that I care about them. I got to make sure the parents know that I care about them. Um, and try not to take it out on the, on the kid because some of those kids are the most incredible players to coach, uh, some of the most mature guys. So I don't really cross guys off necessarily. Now, um, there's been some risks that I've taken that have cost more stress and, and more, uh, you know, challenges for myself selfishly, but in a weird way, I kind of like being somebody that, you know, maybe those kids just don't have anybody they trust, you know, maybe they just haven't had found somebody to be real with them. And um, hopefully with our players, you know, they feel that way about it. And, uh, but you need to be smart about it. Cause you just don't want to cross off your opportunities. You know, you don't want to go somewhere because that's the only option. Um, you know, you might've hurt yourself by just retweeting something and, um, and same deal with me. You know, I have to be, Careful about what I put on or what I say and the opinions that I give, uh, but I'm also I'm also kind of one of those. I'll, I'll be real with you and you know take the consequences if that causes you to not come here. As long as I know I'm representing the program the right way overall, but it's a big it's a big deal for sure.
1: Have you heard about any other things that college recruiters and programs do or use that I didn't mention above?
0: I mean, I would just say that, like, you know, don't assume that I haven't seen you. You know, I, I a lot of people don't see me. I'm not going to be the coach you'll ever see behind home plate with the radar gun, you know, which is fine if you are. That's most coaches. that's Even when I go recruiting at big showcases, that's where you probably want to be. Uh, but for me, I'm usually, you know, at Hempstead, I can just see it right now. I kind of peek through that center field fence, and there's a little spot that I can see through and. It gives me a chance to see kids like in their real form uh, without trying to act a certain way because all the college coaches here Um, just gives me a better chance to be able to evaluate them. But coaches use everything. I mean, there's there's coaches that, you know, I've 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 started I've started talking with more parents and getting them more involved with the process and opening that door up. So, you know, that's another factor that's kind of evolved as as I've grown, too. Um, and then with the coaches, you just gotta be careful. You get a lot of our recruits are sent to us now, uh, from a standpoint of like trustworthy relationships with guys that we've had success or we've treated their players right. And those kids trust those coaches so much that they say, Hey, you should go to Clark. Those kids really, you know, put a lot of weight on that and they end up coming out here and, and being successful.
1: Now, do you peek through that spot in the center field fence at Hempstead because you're too cheap to pay the five dollar admission fee to watch the game, or what's going on there? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah. Now, listening. now, when you're when you're looking at players, what what are what are tools that you look for? What tools stand out to you? And you know, what are some of those huge red flags that might keep you from adding a player?
0: Yeah, I mean, tools wise, you know, just in general, I mean, if you can find a player that has one plus tool, you know, a guy that's a, you know, plus runner, uh, then it's like, yep, that kid, if you have one tool, then you could definitely be an option and somebody that we're definitely interested in, because we'd like to see what can we do if we can develop one more tool or even, you know, increase one, you know, skill set into a, a half a tool, uh, something you can utilize, but uh, the tools are awesome. I think you get a little bit, uh, I think as a coach, you probably emphasize it a little too much when you really reflect on things. It's not the players that necessarily had the greatest tools. It's the ones that, you know, had a combination of things that they contributed. Um, you know, the types of things I look for, I just want a competitive kid. I want a kid that really you can tell is passionate about the game. Um, and even if they're a little overpassionate, that's fine. I could pull the reins back, hopefully. Uh, I've probably had more challenging players than that um, throughout my time. But, you yeah, know, I look for guys that are good teammates, guys that when they strike out, they're not, you know, dragging their feet and, you know, crying about it. As passionate as I am, hopefully you've never seen me just, like, freak out after a strikeout or something. I you know, I like to lead by example when I play as much as I can. I guess we don't take too much out of that, but – um, but I just want a kid that, you know, when he had an opportunity to act negative, he didn't take, he didn't take that opportunity. He switched his mind. He got tough and he got refocused. I don't care. Like, I don't necessarily, the kid's the best player and he's got great numbers. I want to see him fail. That's when I really know what I'm dealing with. Same deal when, I, when we bring in recruits or when we bring in our team in the fall. You know, we want to challenge them to a point where, I want to see who you are when you fail. And then that's going to tell me what I need to do and what I need to focus on and develop you. Because when you're, when you're feeling good and things are going well, most of us perform at a high level. Um, so I want to see guys, how they handle adversity. And that would probably be the number one thing that I do cross guys off for. That's something I just, you know, it just gets a bad taste in your mouth. When it's like, who do you think you are? Like there's better players than you in this world that strike out. You know, there's better players than you that fail and they don't act that way. Turn on a TV. Uh, you know, they and I ask him who your favorite player is. Well, it's, you know, whatever, Chris Bryant. Well, how does Chris Bryant handle, you know, when he fails and how does he handle when he hits a home run? You know, he gives credit to the, to his teammates, his coaches, you know, and, and you can just tell his, his process, his mentality was like, well, look for a good pitch to hit and I got it. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I won a championship. You know, just another day.
1: Coach, thank you for sharing all your insight. Dan Spain, Clark University programs, all-time leading winner in victories. Now, Coach Soigling, I have been noticing you during this Zoom call. You have been taking notes (laughs) like crazy. I am sure you have some questions here for Coach Spain.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm taking a lot of notes, and and a lot of these things, I, I'm more so taking them for me. It's not even questions that I have. It's just I just think Dan's given us so much good info, especially for me as as a high school coach on on what you know a good program or a great program is looking for. And um, you know, I'm going to touch on that with the sit down with Slegling. I'm just going to kind of go over a bunch of main points that Dan's talking about. I just I think it's great, and I'm learning so much. Um, I guess the only question that I I really do have for you is you know, how often do you speak to coaches when you're trying to get these high school guys? And what is the main information you're looking for from the coaches? Because you talk about when you go to the games, you know what you're looking for in the game. But um, what are you looking for from, from these coaches? What information do you want?
0: Yeah, you know, obviously, I want to know, like, what's his competitive level? You know, um, you know is he consistent? You know, is he a front runner? You know, you get a lot of those guys that, they're great teammates when things are going well, but when things are going bad, they're the worst teammates. So um just try to get a few of some of that stuff, personality wise, uh, maybe the challenges that they have, you know, in their personal life and their family, uh, just so I can prepare, you know, you've got guys that maybe didn't have, uh, you know, a male figure in their life even. And so you can anticipate if you're going to bring that kid in, you can anticipate it might take you a little bit more time to build that trust. Um, and you could just, just trying to get to know the, the, the person as much as anything. But, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I recruited so obsessively, you know, and still do, but my first, you know, five, six years, it was like just grinding myself out. You know, I'm on the phone at, at, you know, midnight talking to kids in the West coast. And then my first calls are in the morning at seven, you know, 7am here, but 9am there, just to see if a kid is up. Like, I'll call kids in the morning, like, even when I know whatever, but I'm like, I'm going to test him. If he answers, I kind of get a feel like, oh, that kid's up, he's working, or he's working out, or, okay, that's the type of kid he is. But um, I'm just fortunate that I've got really, really strong connections. Probably, I wouldn't say too many, you never have enough, but probably more than what I can please. Like, from a standpoint, I might have, 20 coaches send me five names and they want me to call them all now. Otherwise I, you know, they feel like, Hey, I've put them off the side and whatever, but um, it, it's a challenge. It's extremely difficult. We brought in 30 new players last year and, and, and we brought them in late. Uh, we didn't know, you know, how things were going to work out. And this team that I have this year is one of the most special, like, just the most enjoyable groups I've ever been around. Uh, like maturity wise, leadership wise, um, just care for each other, taking care of each other. Just some really, really special players, and um, I'm fortunate to get to coach them. But yeah, recruiting's kind of random at our level. Baseball is, especially in AI. I mean, our best players. Many times we sign them a week before school starts because they were supposed to go to this division one or this school or that school and things didn't work out. And, you know, we still have a need and we go get them. Well, we don't know always what we're getting. So um, I get great kids and I get kids that we've, we've got to mold a little bit.
2: Awesome.
1: Coach, any other questions for uh, coach Dan Spain from Clark university before we lead into the around the horn section?
2: No, I I say let's get into the round the horn. All right, coach, are you nervous? Never. You're you're holding <laughs> up you're
1: holding up pretty well. Uh some coaches they start to sweat when we get to this. So we're gonna do five random baseball quick fire questions that Coach Spain was not prepped with before our interview. Question number one, and I am gonna give Coach Soigling some um, credit here. He actually did submit these questions to me. So some of them are his. So he did do some work on this episode. Question number proof. one, Coach Spain, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame?
0: 100%. I, I mean, I'm a big Pete Rose fan. And and as far as we know, you know, he didn't bet on any games that he was playing in. And I don't know, I think his, I think his love for the game as much as anything, he he absolutely loves baseball. And, uh, I think as a baseball guy, you got to respect that and you got to appreciate, you know, we don't know what people are going through. We don't know his situation. You might think, oh, he's a big leaguer and this and that. He's got everything going. Why would you do it? But, you know, people make mistakes. And, but yeah, I 100% think Pete should be in.
1: I I agree. Mm-hmm. And he also, when you think about it too, there's, murderers in the hall of fame i mean he was gambling there uh next question what is the most meaningful statistic in your eyes
0: um probably ops you know on base plus slugging is probably you know statistically the most crucial um i look at overall the strikeout walk ratio that's pretty crucial both for hitters and for pitchers i think that's that's important as well. But yeah, I'd, I'd, have to go with OPS.
1: Now this question was thrown in by coach Soigling because he's going to throw something in here about this one, but what is your favorite play you like to see run or that you personally like to run when you're coaching or playing?
0: I mean, to be honest, um, I like to coach our plays into the players and, you know, the way I look at, like, bunk coverages and stuff, it comes down to, you know, if you're not good enough to make the play and I have to create a play for you, then, you know, somebody else needs to be in there or we need to develop you better. So – uh but I would say, like, offensively, I've really enjoyed um incorporating a lot of stuff this year. We used to just try to hit home runs. I mean, to be honest, we hit a lot of home <laughs> runs in the past. and we, we won games doing it, but it's not as enjoyable to watch always. Uh and it's a little bit more difficult coaching-wise. You don't have as much impact. So I had a team this year that could handle the barrel a little bit more, um, really good approaches that they came in with, and, you know, we helped to encourage and, and develop. But uh, I really like fake bunt, fake bunt steal, fake bunt, fake break. You know, a lot of fake bunt, fake steals, you end up getting a catcher that either can't handle the bunt or you got guys running, you know, saying runner. And the catcher tips off his glove, he loses focus, or the guy throws a ball in the dirt, or the pitcher instead of throwing a breaking ball, he ends up throwing a fastball because he he thinks we're trying to run all the time. Um, that turns into a double in the gap, you know, good pitch to hit. So I really like like a fake bunt, fake break, um, you know, followed up by you know maybe a straight steal, something like that. So I I'm kind of getting into a few different patterns, um, but I got to be careful. You know, some of it you got to let them play. We are just getting to that point where I didn't have to call anything. I would love to take the coaches off the field and just have the players so well coached that you know they just know what to do in each situation. But uh, that's going to be a difficult one for me to just let go of.
1: Now, Coach, yeah. Coach Soigling wanted that question in there because he wants to hit you with something here. Coach, go ahead. Well, Soigling
2: yeah well I, I don't know if you remember this dan i think it, it might have been one of our first interactions together and we, we started out the podcast with you with uh, a bunch of stories about you and, and everything i just want to bring up a story do you remember when we were playing in piazza it was years and years ago it might have been like i don't know i might have been like a freshman or a junior or a freshman or a sophomore in college but uh you're at, at second base and you're trying to, to steal off of me and i i ran inside move on yeah. I picked you off. I was like that. my claim to fame. I, I got so much confidence after that, man. But uh, after it, I'll never forget what you said. You just like came up to me and you're like, dude, I don't know how you ran that move on me. But that was sweet. And then just like ran back to the field and it was it was fun. It was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, you know what? I I played the game 100%. I, I promise you that. Uh, I'm trying to win. I'm trying to compete. But I never – I get a lot I've had a lot of base running mistakes, so that's why I got Coach Razzo. Razzo handles the base running and I step away a little bit, but I always thought I was fast, but you know, being athletic isn't the same as being fast, that's for sure. And we <laughs> that have was a good inside move. And,
1: and we have two semi pro cre- questions here on the around the horn segment. We know we got a lot of semi pro people that listen. What semi pro tournament do you like to play in the most and why?
0: You know, I'd have, have to say the Cascade, you know, not necessarily, you know, one where it's just because we hadn't won it, and um, and it was, you know, it's kind of one of those things that was one that we really just wanted and we'd never won, and, um, you know, we had won the, all the other ones. So that is 100% it's got to be Cascade. Plus, I got some former players, you know, from Cascade, and there's just such a strong culture in Cascade. You just know what you're getting when you have a player from there. Uh, There's just a level of toughness that would not be created unless you were, you know, raised in that environment. So everything about Cascade, and I think some people really hope I I struggle in those games. I think there's a lot of fans rooting (laughs) against me. And, uh, uh, you know, I've got some claim-to-fame performances, and I've got some really bad ones too. But, you know, yeah, it's Cascade, definitely.
1: Now this last question from the Around the Horn segment here. I feel that we need to have you on as a reoccurring guest, but I think we could make an episode just based on this last question. Best Johnny Dollar story, AKA Johnny Knobble.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, now this one you had to prepare me for because we got to keep it, uh, you know, PG here. Oh, <laughs> uh, best Johnny Dollar. Oh my gosh. I. There is so, there's so many, I don't even know where to start, but I'll tell you what we sit, we sit after these games sometimes. And it's so much fun. And he's just such a good sport. And you got all the younger guys, I guess we're not anymore, but you know, we're just trashing him and right to him and he's giving it back to us. And yeah, it's just to see somebody like that, that just loves the game and really loves the players as much as he does. uh um, it, it really, you know, has done a lot for me in my career, and you know, baseball-wise, and falling in love with the game. But man, Johnny, me and him have had some runs. Like there was a time where, you know, he's always telling me, he's always saying, "Well, just stop trying to hit home runs all the time, Spanner." You know, I was struggling, and I said, "That's what I'm here for, John. I need to, you know, give the people something to see." You know, or, and uh, I think I told him in between. It's the only time I really got on him, and I was like, John. Anytime I'm hitting, do not ever say anything to me about anything. I need, <laughs> let me hit, let me focus on what I'm doing so that I can perform. But, uh, man, Johnny Kanabo stories, that's one that you gotta get a you gotta get Corey on here with his John Kanabo voice and Chris Briggs, who's one of my best friends. I mean, the stories they tell you, um, I don't, I really, I don't know if I have many clean ones for you. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds like we need to get some guys on board and we need to have a John, Johnny Canabala round table going on. Coach Spain, thanks for joining us from around. Oh, I got one. All right, I let's hear it. Thank you.
0: Okay. Right. You got it. So we have, we have a guy, okay, he was a friend of a friend who wanted to come play for us. And I think we were actually in Cascade, like a league game or something, and um Johnny's you know we're our team's rolling we're pretty good at that point and you know John's like well yeah but we're gonna have to see him pitch you know I need to need to work him out and so the guy comes he throws and he's like 90 plus I mean he's just firm you could hear him down there John's down there arms crossed like a scout as if he has a choice like we need another pitcher John it wouldn't matter if he couldn't pitch at all we need another body here and uh, this guy was a—he was a minor league pitcher, and John knew that, and he still wanted this guy to try out. So that was one that was just your typical Johnny Dollar. Yeah, well, let me take a look at him before we do anything here, Steiner. Now, Don't make any promises. What was that guy's name? Was it Ned something? Oh, uh, Ned Schaff. Oh, that's a legend right there. Ned, yeah, it, yeah, Johnny. The son I never had. He's got three boys, you know. Uh, the son you never had, John, what are you talking about? you got three boys that are awesome. <laughs> you know, all doctors. <laughs> Maddie, his middle son, is a awesome, really good player. He's a doctor, you know, and he quit, you know, stopped playing baseball to pursue his, you know, his degree and to become a doctor. And he's one of the smartest guys. And, you know, Johnny always tells the story of how it broke his heart. You know, when he quit playing ball, I'm like, you, you know, John, you got doctors. And you've got the best SID in the country, and you're complaining because one of them quit playing baseball to be a doctor, saving lives. But that's just Johnny.
1: Uh, Coach, (laughs) thanks for participating in the Around the Horn section, which will bring us to our next segment, which is called The Seventh Inning Stretch, where we take audience questions for Coach Dan Spain next is our seventh inning stretch segment of the podcast which is audience driven questions sit back and enjoy First audience question during the segment, the seventh inning stretch, comes from Dylan Slattery from stage four to on stage. He asks Coach Spain, how do you measure grit when recruiting a player? How important is that quality? Do you believe that grit can be taught at the college level? I'll let you answer those three and then I'll get to his last question.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, grit for us, I would say, you know, we call it a cleaner, you know, in our program, you know, your goal by the end of it, and it's not something that just happens to become a cleaner. You have to have full confidence in every single situation. You have to almost embrace the worst situations because that's your test of all tests to find out. Are you good enough? Can you handle this? So I, I think grit is 100% something, you know, that that's important. You know, you got to see. It, it might be a great player without grit. Well, then that needs to be a focus. We need to get this guy confident in every situation and learn how to, you know, almost trick your mind a little bit. You kind of manipulate yourself to embrace tough situations, and that's the thing that's going to stick with them in life, you know, as Dylan knows, as much as anything. So um, that's, I mean, grit, however you put it, even that winner's win mentality, uh, but becoming a cleaner, uh, being relentless, that's that's really what our program I think we do I'll I'll say I think we do better than anybody we know how to develop that mentality into players
1: and then his last question is and this is a difficult one I don't even know how I would answer this one and I've been looking at it for a couple days now how do you balance peer talent versus being
0: a cultural fit I think when it comes down to that um, I think I think you rely on your on your players. You rely on the teammates as much as anything because they all know who the most talented kid is. You know, they know who the most talented player is and hopefully that player doesn't shut them off or or walk around with, you know, some sort of you know arrogance that's not earned. Um but hopefully it's somebody that's got respect and that ends up becoming that cultural fit. Now, recruiting wise, um, it's a tough one. It's very tough. I mean, we're all gonna be focused on the guys with the most talent, you know, hands down, because you always think you can fix them, you know, always, that's like the guy that gets drafted that throws a hundred mile an hour, but can't throw a strike, yeah, but as a coach, you believe in yourself, that's why you're at that level, so you think you can fix that guy, so um, now this year, especially recruiting class, with a lot of guys returning, I don't need to bring in a ton, it's not really necessarily worth it to just bring in a pure talent. It's, it's bringing in guys that aren't going to ruffle too many feathers and guys that are going you know, to, you know, engage into the program and want to be a part of the team.
1: Nice. And the next question comes from 7Evan on Instagram. He asks, what was the biggest factor in taking a program with very little success in its history into a constant winner?
0: I mean, the players, you know, I mean, we were able to get some good players and we got lucky on a few guys that wanted to come here and play. And, and we were lucky enough that they were good people too. And, um, you know, I would say my faith, you know, and my trust in myself too um, and and believing in myself and believing in our staff and, and trusting the players. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the biggest factor is I worked extremely hard. Um I mean, I sacrificed a lot of friendships, and, you know, I'm still friends, but I don't get to hang out with anybody. I mean, I don't even get to see my family as often as as I need to and I'd like to. So there's been a lot of sacrifices that have come along with that success. Um, and it's also just, I think there's a little bit of it, you know, I know the guy it's coming from, uh, probably one of my favorite and toughest players I ever coached. I absolutely love him. He you know, I know he's got a lot of love for me and the program and things. Um, but it's, you know, he had enough trust in me at the end of the day and I trusted him and had enough good relationships where, you know, we could get the most out of him as a player and each year you need your best players. You know, you need to find a way to get the most out of them. So, uh, the biggest factor is the players and, and working extremely hard and, and just having faith and trust and believing in yourself.
1: The next question comes from Instagram, a name that I absolutely love when I saw it come across my notifications. It's from Tio Epstein on Instagram asked, who was your first ever recruit while coaching at Clark?
0: (laughs) Rolando Sanchez, Chula Vista, California. That's who it is. Tio is is Rolando Sanchez. He's now the assistant coach. Uh, He's going back to Benedictine in Arizona, which... The head coach is Brian McCabe, uh, who played for me, who coached with me, is doing incredible. I mean, if you look at what he's doing, it's like, it makes me feel old, but great that you got a guy like that that played in your program, is now a head coach, and he got an opportunity that he put himself in because he worked hard for nothing when he was down there in Arizona, and now he's being rewarded, and he they won 40 games last year, and uh, Should have gotten the national tournament. We probably took one of their seeds. Sorry about it. But um, but yeah, so Lando Sanchez was my first ever recruit.
1: And T.O. Epstein on Instagram also has a couple other questions here. Did it feel better to win your first conference tournament or your first regular season title?
0: Uh, I would say pretty equal. I would say um, the regular season title was like something that like you know, you kind of expect every year, and maybe I don't think I really—I don't think I really celebrated it as much because it was like, okay, we thought we were going to win a national title, so we thought, yeah, this is just step one to the next step to the next step. Uh, the conference tournament championship was was pretty incredible, just the way that whole thing went. Uh, we ended up losing the game; I lost it. I'm I'm known for this. I'll if I get—I don't get on them that often. I don't do many like screaming speeches like I may be used to. Uh, it just doesn't usually work, but there's a time and a place, and I got on them the night before, and I said, you know, there's winners and losers, fellas, and, you know, not all of us are winners, you know, and that's just something I guess we're going to have to – you're going to have to handle because we played horrible. We we showed up. We didn't show up to play, and at the end of the day, it was my fault. You know, I should have prepared them better. And then for them to respond almost in spite of me, <laughs> you know, and the, the just the relationships I had with those players was just really authentic, And um, there was, like, a 30-minute period after that was, like, complete. You know, winning isn't really – you know, everybody says it, but, you know, winning is literally a relief. Losing is is really, really horrible. Um, But it's something that's necessary for you to really enjoy the win. So I would say the conference tournament, but um, going to the national tournament, qualifying for that in 2016 for the first time with that team – uh, with that group, um, you know, the ups and downs, that was probably the best memory. Um, and then I'd say, yeah, that conference tournament was pretty special.
1: Yeah, I agree how awful losing is. I lost to a third grader in chess when I first started teaching 14 years ago, and I'm still upset about it. Now, this one comes from Cole Bogie from the Ultimate Sports Weekend. Fine Cole ultimate sports weekend.com who is the best player you have ever coached and who is the best player that you have ever coached against
0: best player i've ever coached andrew redmond hands down um, i think it helps that his character is probably the best i've coached to. i mean there's just uh he's off the charts i love red um and the best player that i that i played against um that's got to be red. I mean, he played for Balltown. I think I was playing for Bellevue. It might have been a Holy Cross tournament. So I think it's the same answer. <laughs>
1: We have to check to see if Andrew Redman got Cole Bogey's Facebook password and submitted that, because Andrew Redman's been known on this podcast to have burner accounts to ask questions where he knows his name is going to get mentioned. And then the last one, and it's a fun one, before we enter the Closing time segment. Art B. Martinez asks, At what age will they finally retire your number for the Key West Ramblers?
0: <laughs> oh man, hey! I, I'll, I'll allow them to retire it as soon as they put John Canable in the Hall of Fame, rightfully where he deserves to be, with his record, his success, and what he's done. It's a it's an absolute shame, and it's not about us. It's not about anybody else. It's about the game of baseball. People deserve what they've earned. And bottom line is, John Canable needs to be in the Hall of Fame. There's not a single person that would appreciate and it would mean more to than that person. And, you know, we all love Johnny, and um, none of what we did with Key West over the years would have been possible without him.
1: Coach Spain, thanks for sitting in with us. Coach Soigling, thanks for uh, checking and getting away from the pool in Phoenix, Arizona. (laughs) You know when you hear that music of Enter Sandman of Metallica, we know that the episode is about to come to an end, just like Mariano Rivera would do when he entered the game for the New York Yankees. Stick around and join us for closing time. We know when we hear Mariano Rivera's music in the background... The podcast is coming to an end just like the game did when he entered. Stick around for closing time. It's become tradition with the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast that when the episode comes to an end, we refer to our guest, we give them a cheesy name somehow related to baseball and give them the opportunity. So Dan Spain from Clark University, thank you for sitting in with us and spending this time with us. I really do believe that I'm going to have you on as a reoccurring guest. But we're going to take this time and we're going to sound off with Spain.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, you guys are definitely going to help our program. I think it's, it's crucial for us just being able to hear a lot of these names and a lot of these kids. And, you know, for the, for the players that are listening um, and just anybody in general, you know, I just leave you with uh, yeah, just believe in yourself, you know, take life into your own hands, have ownership and uh, hold yourself accountable I mean, I am so far, I feel like our program, uh, is, is barely scratched the surface. Um, you know, I'm trying to get better, trying to, you know, manage my way through life just like anybody else. And things change, challenges come up, but there's always somebody out there that's got more challenges and more roadblocks. And I'm just very blessed for, uh, the opportunities that I've gotten and, you know, done my best to, you know, take advantage of them. Um, I wouldn't be here though without my parents, uh, You know, my dad works hard every single day. So growing up on the farm, that just ingrained that into me. Um, And it's been great to be able to spend some time and give back to him. But um, there's a lot of different people that have a lot to do with me being where I'm at. My family is is number one for sure. My wife putting up with everything and, uh, you know, managing the house and taking care of my kids while, you know, while I'm gone all the time and spending time with with, uh, a lot of other players and, um, you know, and then. Just said, uh, great, uh, "Greatness is a daily decision," and uh, you know, of course, winners win.
1: Thanks, Coach, for uh, sounding off there. It was great having you on the podcast. Now, from Phoenix, Arizona, we're going to sit down with Soigling.
2: Yeah, I just want to take the time today just to, to thank you, Dan, for for coming on here. I was I, we haven't talked a whole lot and everything, but every time I have, I've always. Uh, Really enjoyed the conversations we've had and and how much you have to provide. Um, You know, there's so many great things that came through this podcast, and uh, you know, it felt like 10 minutes to to me. I I think it did to you guys too. But um, you know, a lot of lot of things that Dan was bringing up was, you know, like he reflects himself. You can tell just by the way that he he talks. Is he reflects himself and and how he can be a better coach and how he can can reach every single guy in some way or another on his team. Um, and how important playing a role is on those teams, and 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 how his program is is based around a team unity. And I think that's really really important for for these young guys to hear, um, especially when it comes to like recruiting or going to watch guys. You know, he's talking about how he wants to see you fail, and he wants to see how consistent you are, and how how competitive you are, and what your personal challenges are. Like that's huge. Um, if you can if you can look at those things. And, and tell yourself, what is it that my personal challenges are? What is my competitive level? Am I consistent? Um, can I really play a role on the team, even if I'm not the greatest player on this team? Like, what can I do that best suits these guys around me? You know, you're going to have success moving forward. And um, I just think it's it's amazing uh, to hear your perspective, Dan. And I really appreciate your time and, and coming on here. Winners win.
1: Right, baby. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that uh, hashtag winner's win. with The minute with Manaman, I, I want to talk about something that I've seen players start doing at the end of practices. And I want to let you know that this little gesture goes a long way. I noticed it when I was coaching seventh grade basketball at Kelly Middle School, maybe six, seven, eight, nine years ago. And there was a group of kids that at the end of every single practice would go out of their way and either give me a fist bump or a handshake and would say, thank you, coach, for coaching me. And this happened every single day, every single game, every single practice with this group to three to five kids. The great thing that I've seen is I've seen this trend continue. It happened regularly this past year at Roosevelt Middle School where I was coaching basketball. And it happened on the baseball field many times last year when I was coaching baseball at Western Dubuque High School. Just that small gesture of going to your coach and thanking him because we give time away from our family to do that. Coach Spain talked about it. We give Time and opportunities of things that we enjoy doing to teach the game of baseball. And that small little gesture, those two words of thank you, they really go a long way. Hashtag winners win. And just like that, 643, we're out of here.
0: Postgame show is brought to you
2: by. Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.
1: Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.